This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always, but not in studio this week, is Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. Excited to talk about some March Madness with you. Yeah, uh, just catch a quick catch-up from where we were before. the last time we talked to you. Missouri lost in the SEC quarterfinals to Arkansas after defeating Georgia on that Thursday. We pretty much thought Mizzou was locked into being seeded to win their first game. Didn't end up happening that way. Missouri got the ninth seed in the West region uh, and is playing Oklahoma on Saturday night at Lucas Oil Stadium. Winner of that matchup most likely gets Gonzaga, but... They have to get through the winner of Appalachian State, Norfolk State, to get there as the number one overall seed, but that's what we would expect on Monday night. Were you watching the selection show, Langston, or what were your thoughts when you saw the nine seed pop up? Yeah, I actually uh, had the opportunity to have some friends over socially distanced watching the uh, Big Ten championship game, and then right after that, going into the selection show. And uh, once I saw that, in fact, was the number one overall, uh, number one seed, which was expected, you see Oklahoma get announced as the eighth seed. I turned to my friends, and I'm like, okay, Missouri, they're avoiding the potential, you know, 8-1 matchup with Gonzaga. They don't have to deal with that. Uh, I think we all kind of, you and I expected with the win over Georgia for Missouri to stay where it was projected around that 7-8 to eight seed range. So when Missouri was announced at the nine, I was kind of shocked. They were ultimately the highest not nine seed, but – pretty much the worst possible outcome if you're a Missouri fan, knowing that, you know, a win over Oklahoma means a matchup against, in my opinion, the best team in the country, Gonzaga. Yeah, I, I to me, the bracket kind of came out, and this is more than just a Missouri example. Well, like, the committee had figured out where they wanted to place teams, like, on Friday, and they just let, let it stay there, even, or maybe even before that. Just, I mean, I think that a lot of the SEC teams might be actually underseeded, Mizzou being a clear example of that. But even like when you look at a team like Florida, who got a seven seed, Missouri won head-to-head. They got eliminated at the exact same point of the season um, in the SEC tournament, both on Friday. And they get a seven, and then their second-round matchup would be against most likely Ohio State. That's much more forgiving than when you look at a team who has not lost this season in Gonzaga. Um, Just kind of looking at Missouri's draw, I mean, I think Oklahoma's understood two. Uh, but just overall, this, this, in my opinion, is kind of a coin flip matchup. You know, when you look at a lot of what Oklahoma does, it's very similar to Missouri. You know, yes, some individual pieces are the same, and I think that, you know, they play differently, but their resumes and just the on-paper part of this matchup is as much of a coin flip matchup, I think, as there is in the first round. Um, you know, you have Austin Reeves, who is probably going to be the best individual player on the floor for Oklahoma in this matchup, but I think you can make an argument that Missouri, in terms of just individual players, has the second, third, and fourth best player in this matchup uh, in Jeremiah Tillman, Drew Smith, and Xavier Pinson, in whatever order you like. Um, it's, it, this is just going to be a game, and, and, and I've, Langston knows this very well, but, you know, at, almost every game this year I've had to, like, change my game or, or write something different just for how, you know, every game has been close. 
it's kind of weird being on this side where I'm just bracing for impact now, where it's like, I fully expect this game to be close. You know, it's not like the Georgia game where I was like, okay, Missouri has a chance to blow out win here. Like, I, I think this game is going to be decided within five points either way. Yeah, I think what we've seen over the last month of Missouri is that they're going to have to make key plays late in the second half to win. These aren't going to be 10-point victories. These are going to be within, you know, five to seven points in, you know, my estimation. And just kind of looking at both teams, I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought up on paper, you know, they seem to be stacked up pretty equal against each other. And it's two teams with Oklahoma and Missouri that if you're talking to these teams a month ago, they would be flabbergasted to think that they would be a, a, an eight and a nine seed in this. You know, when you look back at, you know, January 23rd, the Sooners go on a run where they beat number nine Kansas, and then number five Texas and Alabama, all within a one-week span. And then just like Missouri, they finish the regular season kind of on a free fall there. They end up losing three of their last – I mean, they end up losing – five of their last eight games before going into the Big Ten tur- I mean, Big 12 uh, conference tournament. Yeah, they lost five of their last six overall, including the Big 12 tournament. And it, it, you just you just think about how the season has gone for both these teams, and, you know, it, it, it's scary kind of how similar they are. But I, I really think the key to this game is going to come down to, and it's just like a lot of other games this year, but it's even more important than this game, can Jeremiah Tillman implement himself offensively in a way that's effective for Missouri. It doesn't need to have that quintessential double-double game, but his presence needs to take over. The way that Oklahoma plays defensively, they love playing man-to-man. They're not a zone team. They love to spread you defensively and make you work from the outside in. If Jeremiah Tillman can get his handprints all over this game, the chances of Missouri win skyrocket. They have guys who can guard him one-on-one, unlike most teams in the SEC, but you're going to see that going forward now that we're at NCAA tournament time from most of the teams Missouri is going to play. Um, and, and it's not worth even talking about, you know, Gonzaga at this point because they're loaded everywhere. Oklahoma is not. But, you know, just if Jeremiah Tillman can implement himself, Xavier Pinson can just be the dynamic guard we have seen where he just goes north-south and just runs teams off the floor, the chances Missouri wins this game, you know, skyrocket from where they are now. Uh, I'll put you on the spot here, Langston. What's your? Uh, we'll get into our brackets in a little while, but who do you have winning this game? I've got Missouri, and, you know, the biggest takeaway that I had from when the bracket was released is, will Drew Smith be able to slow down Austin Reeves? And you kind of mentioned it earlier in the pod. It's just Oklahoma will have the best player on the floor. But can Mizzou defensively kind of do enough just to slow him down? I know that Reese is averaging about 17 points per game. Can you keep him to, you know, a 12 or maybe 10-point range in this game? And I think Missouri does come out with the victory, and then it's anything can happen in March because I think we both expect Gonzaga to advance past the first round. Yeah, uh, I called Missouri 75, Oklahoma 71. Um, I, I Austin Reeves, it's going to be interesting because if there is a kryptonite, for what Austin Reeves does, I really do think it is Drew Smith. You know, Drew Smith has played against him a few times in the past when Drew was at Evansville and Austin Reeves was at Wichita State when they were formerly in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, Wichita State has since moved on to the American Conference. Uh, they played against each other, and Drew Smith played very well against him and has seen his repetition, although they both have very much improved from those young players that they were before they both transferred, you know, if, if Drew Smith can't stop Austin Reeves, it's going to be a, be a long day for Mizzou. But 
on paper, Drew Smith has some talent to do it. Um, it's, it's just going to be interesting to look at which team can kind of get out of their doldrums, too. At the end of the day, Missouri has not seen, you know, the best consistently from this team in over a month, and it's about the same for Oklahoma. You mentioned that stretch they had, and it's just like, but, you know, even down the stretch here, I think their one win over the last month might have been Iowa State, who is terrible, you know, and then maybe Kansas State, too. So they haven't beat a quality team in, like, a month and a half. So maybe the same thing can be said for Missouri because Georgia and South Carolina aren't that great, but they did beat Florida at, at the beginning of March. So we will see how that goes. There won't be a better transition than we have right now to go into our special guest for this week. Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman has covered them for a while, and uh, he breaks down kind of the matchup uh, we see looking at the uh, first round here for Missouri. Uh, so without further ado, here is my special guest for this week, Ryan Aber. Podcast this time is the Oklahoma Athletics beat reporter for the Oklahoman, Ryan Aber. How you doing, Ryan? Doing great. How are you doing uh, this afternoon? It's been raining in Columbia all day, but besides that, I am doing <laughs> fine. Uh, just kind of first off, take me through the reaction to seeing Oklahoma getting an eight, and then when you saw Missouri as their opponent as a nine. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think it's about what people around here expected. You know, uh, a few weeks ago. As I, I know it was a, a similar journey for Missouri, people were talking about a lot of seeds for the Sooners, but given the way that their season finished, you know, dropping five of six, um, it's no surprise that they wound up in that 8-9 game, which not only obviously uh, gives them a, a really tough first-round game uh, against Missouri, but whoever fortunate enough to get by it has to all of a sudden face uh, the number one team in the country. So, uh, a, a tough draw, but I, I think one that um, people thought something similar uh, was going to come after the way that uh, this team finished the year. Yeah, uh, that's kind. Of, it was kind of my main impression too. But just kind of walk us through it. The last you know month or so has been like you saw that I think Oklahoma beat Kansas, Texas, and Alabama within a seven or eight day stretch of each other, and then it kind of just fell off. Is that right? Or walk through that part of it. Yeah, it really did. I mean, they and uh, you know they beat uh, Kansas, uh, Texas, and Alabama, like you said, nine five and nine in the rankings in an eight day span. And all of a sudden, people started talking about, well, you know, this team could be as high as a two seed, um, and, and you know the the sort of sky's the limit with them. And heck, they even part of that they didn't have Austin Reeves, uh, their leading scorer, leading rebounder, leading assist man. And everything like that. So you start thinking, well, once the team really gets gets going, hey, they could do anything. And then you started seeing some cracks when they played uh, Iowa State uh, the first time at home. You know, the loss coming off of that was at Texas Tech. That's no uh, no big shame there. But the biggest thing is their their offense just really went away, and the consistency went away. Uh, they weren't able to finish games the way that they did during that stretch, and that really cost them because, you know, yes, uh, they, uh, you know, lost all those games at the end, but they were right in every single one of those uh, in, in the last possession or two, but they just weren't able to finish uh, the things out there and, uh, you know, got on that skid. They've got to figure out a way to get much more consistent offensively here entering the postseason. Missouri's faced, you know, 
All-American type players this season. You know, they, I think, allowed 36 points to Io DeSunmu earlier this year, although Missouri won that game. Cam Thomas scored 29 against them a couple weeks ago. Just it's, how important to Oklahoma is Austin Reeves? Well, he, he's very important. I mean, you know, just what I mentioned earlier with leading in, in all three of those categories, you know, as, as great as Oklahoma basketball has been at, at various points over their history and, and as great of players as they've rolled through there, you know, when you think of, uh, you know, Wayman Tisdale, Blake Griffin, Trey Young, Buddy Heald, all those guys, nobody has led the Sooners in all three of those categories in one season, and he's been able to do that. So he, he's very important, uh, but I, I think – uh, the biggest thing is getting some of those other guys going and getting Austin Reeves back into uh, distribution mode rather than just trying to do everything himself. I mean, you look at that the end of the, the Kansas game in the Big 12 tournament, and Austin Reeves uh, either turned the ball over or took a shot to end, uh, well, uh, in every possession that they had. I think he, he passed once during those last 10 possessions. Uh, and the only time, the only shot taken by someone other than him during that span was a, a putback of Austin Reeves' miss by Elijah Harkless. So uh, Reeves is very important, but it's as much about making the right decisions as it is uh, just his shooting and his scoring. What's kind of the external view of this Missouri team? I know that you know, Big 12 rivals used to happen a lot more in both, you know, football and basketball and everything with Oklahoma and Missouri. But, you know, just what's the view kind of going into what's a really important game, obviously, for Oklahoma about what this Missouri team can do? I, I think it's uh, really similar to Oklahoma in that, uh, you know, they had similar journeys with, with rising. And I, I think it's funny that sort of the peak of, of both of those team seasons, at least for me, on the outside looking at Missouri's season. I don't know. You might have a different opinion, but uh, it looks like the win over Alabama was sort of the the, uh, the peak of where both these teams were during the season. And uh, it, obviously that changed a little bit. So I, I think the thought about Missouri is they're a dangerous team, but uh, one that can be beaten on any night, uh, much like Oklahoma. So uh, it's one with, uh, I think, a lot of intrigue and a, a lot of questions going in. Uh, to the game on both sides, and I think that's what you expect out of an 8-9 game, what you expect out of two teams that have struggled uh, down the stretch after starting the season uh, so fantastically. Kind of walk me through more of the mechanics of how um, Oklahoma is offensively and defensively. It seems like, you know, Missouri and Oklahoma kind of play two different styles when it comes to offense and defense. Tell me more about what the Sooners do there. Yeah, for, for Oklahoma, offensively, first of all, everything runs through all three, uh, like we've talked about. But I, I think Brady Manick is a big key to that. You know, Manick started off uh, this year at the four spot as he's played for really the entirety of his career uh, to this point with the Sooners and, and been a guy who obviously has some size but uh, can stretch defenses out, hit threes, and, and got uh, covid uh, during the middle of the season, went out of the starting lineup for the first time in his career, was really slow getting back, and uh, their offense has changed considerably since he came back because they've moved him to the five there, give him a, a, a smaller lineup with four guards, which has helped him on, on both ends of the four, but it took Manic some time to get into the flow of things from that spot. He's finally doing that. He can still 
uh, stretch things out and, and take the three, uh, which makes them a little even more dangerous now at the five offensively. Uh, but uh, they they go as their guards go, and uh, obviously Austin Reeves is the biggest key to that. But Emoja Gibson has been a big time three point shooter for him. Hasn't been as consistent recently as he has, and I think that's one thing that's sort of been overlooked in some of their struggles. He's come up with some big games, but uh, really uh, hasn't been able to hit those shots game after game that he was earlier in the year. Uh, uh, you know, Davion Harmon is a guy who played point guard for most of his career uh, to this point, moved off the ball this year with Austin Reeves sliding over into that point spot. And I think it's really benefited both of them. I think they really need to get Davion Harmon more involved, though, in their offense. I think that's the biggest thing when I look at what their offense has done during this stretch. Uh, one, Austin Reeves' decision-making hasn't always been stellar, and they haven't gotten Harmon involved nearly as much as she should late in games. And then you talk about the defensive identity. Their defensive identity completely flipped when Brady Manick went out because of the changes that Lon Kruger was really forced to make because not only was it Brady Manick going out, but it was Jalen Hill who was his backup at that time. So they were forced to do some different things. That's when they went to that four-guard lineup. And that's really when Elijah Harkless became the heart and soul of uh, Oklahoma's defensive effort. He was a little used early in the season. Uh, was coming off the bench and not playing a whole lot of minutes, but he really thrived in that environment and was able to become sort of uh, their defensive tone setter. I think, and again, this is just uh, from the outside looking in, but it seems like he's very similar to what uh, Smith brings Missouri uh, as far as uh, you know being that defensive lockdown guy who gets the other team's you know top perimeter guy and tries to slow him down. So. I think that that's going to be uh, a, a big matchup key there. And I think the other thing is uh, how Oklahoma uses Kirk Watts, who's uh, you know, one of their, their few uh, really big guys, hasn't been used consistently very often, but Lon Kruger has picked his spots with him and, and certainly with Missouri with some of the size that they have inside, uh, you could see that the C. Quas getting – a little bit more of an opportunity than maybe he has to this point. I, I imagine you're referring to Drew Smith there because I'm sure with a little bit of research you've done about Missouri, the starting lineup and then the first guy off the bench, three of their last names are Smith. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did I, I, I did mean Drew Smith there. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah, I, I was looking at that when I was looking, uh, mainly comparing the, the team that OU played a year ago uh, and the team that they played this year. And, yeah, I, I see – you know, Drew, Mark, Mitchell, and you're like, goodness, uh, I don't envy y'all having to make sure you keep those straight because I know I've had that issue a couple times with guys who even have similar names, much less three guys with the same last name. None are related, and it, they're, it, 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 once you get it, you kind of get the hang of it, but it does take a little while. And then you mentioned Davion Harmon, and I got to see him once in high school, and he was a point guard then and just an absolute just elite distributor at the high school level. Um, and it's interesting to hear you say that he went off the ball because that was kind of his biggest strength coming out of Denton Geyer. Uh, so it was interesting to hear you say that. Uh, kind of going to the NCAA tournament as a whole now, have you filled out your bracket yet, Ryan? Uh, I have not yet, and I, I need to because uh, I have to. Uh, we're doing a little roundtable thing with the people for the four guys who cover college basketball at our spots, and uh, I've got to get my final four in. 
uh, before too long, but I, I've got it pulled up here so I can uh, at least hopefully make some sense as I talk about uh, you know, right, we'll, we'll uh, start what the bracket looks like. Just, just kind of give us the first uh, impression. Do you have a prediction for how Oklahoma-Mizzou plays out, and then does either one of them have a shot again to the Sweet 16? Well, I, I think this is going to be a game that's going to be tight to the end, and it's going to come down to who makes plays uh, late. And, and I, I think that it's going to be about one of these teams bucking the trend and, and finally finishing against another good team. You know, Oklahoma hasn't played just incredibly horribly uh, for most of this uh, tough stretch, but they haven't been able to finish. I, right now, uh, lean toward Oklahoma in a very tight game, but uh, certainly uh, can see that one uh, going either way. I, I just think that uh, – uh, you know, Brady Manick is going to be a difference maker in this game and be able to give them a little bit different element. And then, uh, you know, Austin Reeves with what he's been able to do, I think he's going to be able to shake that off. As far as either of these teams having a chance in the second round, I think, yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, certainly tougher than any other matchup that you can have when you're going against a Gonzaga team. Uh, but, uh, this is a Gonzaga team that, yes, they're undefeated, and, and yes, they're fantastic. I've got a chance to watch them a couple times uh, recently, but they certainly haven't been tested uh, night in and night out, uh, especially since uh, since Jan- the, the, the year turned over in the way that, that Oklahoma and Missouri have been in, in their league, and certainly Oklahoma with um, the way that the Big 12 has been uh, with those guys higher up. I, I think the problem for both of these teams, though, uh, if they are able to, to win the first-round game, is, yes, you can beat Gonzaga. You can knock knock them off in a one-night affair. Uh, the question is, can you go any further than that and do it you know, two, three, four times? And I think that's where it becomes really difficult for each of these teams. That being said, I'd pick Gonzaga to win in the second round uh, you know, against either of these guys. Any other further predictions you want to give us as a preview for whatever bracket you end up doing? Yeah, and you know, in uh, in that region in in the West, um, you know, I I really like uh, Gonzaga. I think clearly, you know, what we've talked about, they haven't been tested a lot, so you could see certainly once you get to the Elite Eight. If they're playing uh, probably an Iowa team that I, I look at at that uh, uh, that bottom half of the bracket, I think that'll be a, a great matchup. But still think uh, that they can get through that. You know, in the East, um, I, I really like whoever comes out of the bottom part of that bracket, Alabama or Texas. I think Texas right now uh, is playing fantastically and playing the way that they played early in the season. Uh, which is uh, really, really good. I think that they present some matchup problems, and, and Shaka Smart, I think, has done a fantastic job, certainly his best job uh, during his time there. Um, and so that'll be interesting to watch, and, and certainly Alabama with uh, Nate Oates um, has been fantastic there. I think that's going to be a great game if that works out like that. Uh, over there, uh, over in the Midwest, you know, an Illinois-Oklahoma State matchup, would be phenomenal uh, on several fronts. Uh, first of all, these teams are, are both really fun to watch, and, and their styles, I think, would make for a fantastic game. Uh, but also uh, Brad Underwood, Illinois' coach, against Mike Boynton, 
who was his assistant at Oklahoma State for the one season he was there and has done a great job. And clearly, Cade Cunningham right now playing as well as anybody in the country. So that would be a, be a great matchup. And I think the, the team that won that game would have a great shot at going into the Final Four. And then finally in the South, uh, you know, I, I like Baylor. I like what Scott Drew uh, does, especially in the postseason. I think it all oftentimes has worked out better for him in the postseason than it has in the regular season. Clearly, they had a great regular season. I think they finally gotten their feet under them a little bit, just sort of ran into a buzzsaw with Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham in the Big 12 tournament. But I, I think that uh, uh, I'd pick Baylor uh, to go in that region as well. And my favorite uh, first-round matchup, probably of all of them, uh, weirdly is going to be that Arkansas-Colgate game. I think Colgate is a team that got really underseeded at 14. I mean, heck, you look at the net, I think, what are they, number nine in the net rankings? Uh, I think that's a tough matchup for the Razorbacks. Uh, going to be a, a, a great first-round uh, game. Um, and it uh, will be fun to see who is able to, to get out of that with a win because that's a uh, – a really uh, interesting, intriguing matchup there in the first round, which you don't normally think of for three fourteen games. I agree with you there. Having seen Arkansas live twice this year, they can shoot it lights out. So there might be a lot of points in that game. Uh, before we let you go, Ryan, where can everybody read, kind of from the opponent's perspective this week, where can they find you online to read our uh, Gannett brethren in uh, Oklahoma City? Yeah, you can find me online, uh, my, my stuff online at oklahoman.com. And you can catch me on Twitter at R-Y-A-B-E-R, Ryaber. All right, thank you, Ryan, so much for joining us this week, and I guess I'll see you in Indianapolis. All right, sounds great, Eric. You have a good one. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And now, back to the show. And thank you once again to Ryan Aver for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. It's definitely great to hear from an opponent's perspective. We haven't had that in a little while, especially within a really important game for, I think, the long-term outlook of Missouri men's basketball. You know, we've said that, you know, in the past, that Missouri had to get to the NCAA tournament for this season to be a success. But they can really leverage how much success there is, I think, with a win, you know, against Oklahoma. I think, you know, you – the team is not, or the program has not won an NCAA tournament game in 11 years, especially for old-time Missouri fans when Norm would win a game almost every year in the tournament. And, you know, it was at the end of the last decade where Missouri had, I think, two elite eight appearances in the 2000s already. Uh, one ended to Oklahoma in 2002. Um, you know, you just, I think, I think being an NCAA tournament game is just a big step for getting the program back on the right track, especially in what is likely the final hurrah 
of Jeremiah Tillman, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Mitchell Smith, Drew Buck, and possibly Xavier Pinson as well. Definitely. And we we talked about it, uh, I believe, um, two weeks ago. It's just kind of measuring success and measuring if this is the season of success if Missouri doesn't win the SEC tournament or doesn't advance to the final in the SEC tournament. And they're in perfect position here after the win against Georgia, close game against Arkansas. You beat Oklahoma, and you're competitive against Gonzaga, possibly winning. The season's definitely success, and so it's moving in the right direction for these last for all, for these players that have been here for four years. All right, we're going to go over, Lance and I are going to go over our brackets now. Um, it's interesting, Missouri's in the West region, considering they would have been playing this game, I think, in Boise, Idaho, if it wasn't for everything being in the Indianapolis area now, uh, which would have been a definite home court advantage for Gonzaga compared to whoever they're playing. Uh, but you have uh, who winning, Gonzaga, Norfolk State, Athens? I've got Gonzaga winning handily. I'm guessing you got the same. <laughs> why, why don't you go down the first round in the West region here, Langston? Gonzaga, we know Gonzaga, we know Mizzou. Go down the go down the rest there. I've got Creighton over UCSB. I've got Ohio with an upset over a Virginia team, which really just isn't as defensively as dominant as they have been in years past. I've got USC beating Wichita State in that round matchup. I've got Kansas over Eastern Washington. Oregon over VCU, and Iowa and Luca Garza advancing to the next round over Grand Canyon. Interestingly enough, we have half of the same of that remaining six, and it was the first three weeks differently. I have UC Santa Barbara, your classic mid-major 12 seed. Creighton looked terrible against Georgetown. And, you know, so I got to take UCSB here as the 12 seed. I do have Virginia beating Ohio. I watched Ohio win their conference. I just – they're good. I don't think they're – just convincingly great. Uh, they could win this game. Worst teams will win in state tournament games. And no matter who it is, Wichita State or Drake, I will be taking them to beat USC. I have Kansas coming off of a little COVID pause over Eastern Washington. Give me Oregon there as well. I think the BCU is just not the same BCU team we've seen that's made tournament runs in the past. And Iowa over Grand Canyon easily. In the Sweet 16 of the West region, give me Gonzaga, give me Virginia. I will take the play-in winner, no matter who it is, over Kansas and give me Iowa. I think Oregon has a big man in L.J. Figueroa that might give Luka Garza trouble. There's just too much talent on Iowa for me to go against them at this early. Exactly, yeah. I've got Iowa advancing as well. I, I think it would be a crime to not be able to see Luka Garza in the uh, Sweet 16. I've actually got USC over Kansas. I just coming off of that COVID pause, and I really do want to see Evan Mobley, uh advance deeper into the tournament. Uh, that was purely kind of a hard pick for me. I just want to see more of this USC team. Um, and then I've got Gonzaga beating Missouri and Creighton moving on uh, in the Elite Eight there. Or, excuse, excuse me. Okay, so your two Elite Eight teams out of the West are Gonzaga and Iowa, I'm guessing. Yep. As same for me, and who do you have advancing the Final Four? Gonzaga. As do I. Going down to the East region, um, I gra- my high school uh, graduation took place at the gym at St. Mount St. Mary's. I do have them beating Texas Southern, but I don't have them beating Michigan in the first round there. Um, I think this is another great 8-9 matchup, LSU-St. Bonaventure, but I'm going LSU. Just Cam Thomas is the difference. Give me Georgetown over Colorado. Florida State over UNC Greensboro. The play-in winner over BYU. In the West Coast Conference Final, the way they let Gonzaga come back in is just a red flag for me. I cannot take BYU here. 
Uh, give me Texas over Abilene Christian, Maryland over UConn, and Alabama over Iona. How about you, Langston? Yeah, we're in agreement for most of those. You know, I've got Michigan and LSU advancing. I've got Colorado over Georgetown. I know Georgetown went on that uh, run to win the Big Big East, but I don't really think that is a good team. I think they just got hot at the right time. I think that ends of the first round of the NCAA tournament. I'm in agreement with you. Uh, whether it's Michigan State or UCLA, I just didn't like what I saw from BYU down the stretch, and I'm glad you brought that up. Letting Gonzaga back in that game when they were in firm control is a humongous red flag for me. And I've got Maryland against Alabama. You have Texas and Florida State as well? Yes. Okay. Sweet 16 going down the east. What do you got, Mike? I've got LSU with the upset over Michigan. And I, I just think the LSU team is deeply talented, and we we saw that against Alabama in the SEC tournament game. I mean, SEC championship game got them with a huge upset, eight over one right there. Got Florida State advancing past Colorado. Then I've got Texas beating whether that's Michigan State or UCLA, and I've got Alabama beating Maryland. Yeah, we're the exact same on all four. LSU has got to be a popular pick to take over Michigan. Uh, I have them there as well, Florida State, Texas, Alabama. Um, I thought about doing the play-in winner over Texas because they just get caught, but I just think the shock is smart this time of year. You, you can't, eliminate, can't, eliminate them that, can't eliminate them that early. Going forward, I have Florida State and Alabama in the Elite Eight with Alabama advancing to the Final Four. How about you, Langston? I've got the opposite. I've got LSU and Texas advancing uh, to the Elite Eight, and I've got Texas advancing to the Final Four. Just the amount of length, shot creation that Texas has, I just think they get on a run here, and Shaka Smart returns to the Final Four. Let's go to the South region. Let's go down the first-round winners for you, Langston. I've got Baylor over Hartford. I've got in a, really a, a toss-up game. You talk about the 8-9 matchup in the West between Oklahoma and Missouri in a toss-up. I felt the same way about North Carolina and Wisconsin. I've got the batters moving on. I've got Villanova over Winthrop, Purdue over North Texas. Got an 11-6 uh, matchup. I've got Utah beating Texas Tech. Arkansas, who just seems to be moving in the right direction here, over Colgate. Florida over Virginia Tech. And I've got Ohio State has to be looking at this this region as being extremely favorable because I think they match up well against Baylor. But I've got Ohio State over Oral Roberts. I have a lot of the same. Give me Baylor over Hartford. I do have UNC over Wisconsin, just two teams being in opposite directions. Winthrop, I I like just their record and what, how they've done this year's consistency. I'm taking them over Villanova, who just seems to be hit or miss in March this time, and just they go out early or they make a deep run. There's really no in-between for them, so I'll go with them going out early this year. Uh, I think what Texas is actually not a very good team, despite them being ranked 13. Watched their championship game in Conference USA and barely put up 50 points to win their conference. Uh, that was just a poor offensive night, so give me Purdue playing close to home. I have Texas Tech. They seem to be really good this time of year. Arkansas, I, I, I'm a little scared of this Colgate team. I'm not going to lie. 14 and 1, they can score the ball. They have they, they are really talented for mid major. I think just Arkansas is just too good for them. If Colgate was seated a little bit towards the middle, maybe it would take them in a normal year, but Arkansas is just too good. Give me Virginia Tech, uh, just as a kind of a toss up matchup, Florida, Virginia Tech there, and Ohio State o- over Oral Roberts. Uh, I feel kind of weird saying who I have in the South region, uh, you know, Sweet 16, just because I went with complete chalk, which I usually don't do. Baylor, Purdue, Arkansas, Ohio State, and the Sweet 16. 
I've got the same uh, Sweet 16, and then I've got Ohio State beating Baylor to advance to the Final Four. I have Arkansas beating Ohio State there, and and Arkansas again beating Baylor to go to a Final Four. I don't. This is the one I don't really feel confident about. I don't think Baylor has the legs to keep up with a lot of these teams late. Just they showed a lot of flaws down the stretch. So really, the winner of the Arkansas Ohio State game right there really was my pick. And I don't know. I, I just think that what I saw from Arkansas make them a little streaky, and I, I think that they can reach a Final Four here. Now, the Midwest region in particular, for me, I hate this region completely. It is not. It is figuratively, not literally, top-loaded. When you look at just the 116-8-9, the 5-12, and the 4-13 matchups, so many great matchups. You look at the bottom half of the region, for the 6-11, 3-14, 7-10, and 2 and 215, I almost hate every single one of those matchups. There's a team that's just going to be very vulnerable in that Elite Eight, no matter what, coming out of that region, and, and a team that's primed to go very far in the top half of that region. So I'm going Illinois over Drexel, Loyola Chicago over Georgia Tech, Tennessee over Oregon State, give me Oklahoma State over Liberty, San Diego State over Syracuse, West Virginia over Moorhead State, Clemson over Rutgers, and Houston over Cleveland State. How about you, Langston? We are the exact same, except I've got Rutgers over Clemson. In the Sweet 16, give me Illinois, Oklahoma State, San Diego State, and Houston. I've got um, Illinois versus Oklahoma State and San Diego State against Rutgers. I just This Houston team, in my opinion, from just the games that I've seen, just the, the weakest two seed uh, out of the entire tournament, I just are primed for an upset. I, I do, too, and I have it in the next round. Give me an Illinois-San Diego State Elite Eight matchup there. I've got the same thing. Illinois versus San Diego State with Illinois advancing to the Final Four. As do I. But we'll pause and come back to that Illinois-Oklahoma State matchup, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go deeper into looking at the Final Four here. So you have a Final Four of Gonzaga, Texas, Illinois, and Ohio State, correct? Yep. I have Gonzaga, Alabama, Illinois, and Arkansas. Uh, do you have Gonzaga in the national championship game? I do. I've got Gonzaga with a dominant showing over Texas getting to the national championship. I think Gonzaga over Alabama as well. So we have Illinois against either Ohio State or Arkansas here. Who do you have advancing? And I guess a rematch of the Big Ten title game. Yep, I've got Illinois getting the best of them again. I just, from what I saw from the Big Ten Championship game, it seems like Illinois has an answer for any team, in my opinion, and they're most likely going to have the best player on the floor with I.O., and I've got Illinois beating Gonzaga in the National Championship. Same, exact same thing here. I have Illinois beating Arkansas and then Illinois winning the National Championship. From a from just putting a the best bracket together perspective that I could, I think Illinois is the right team to choose. But if I was going to Vegas, I think I'd be choosing Oklahoma State, to be honest with you. I, I think I found this today 25 to 1 and 28 to 1 in different perspectives. I Essentially, my choice came down to the winner of the Oklahoma State Illinois game in the Sweet 16 in the Midwest is going to be my national champion. And that was tough to see very early on. And despite the talents of Kate Cunningham, I think just Illinois is a little bit deeper. That, that Sweet 16 match kind of scares me, so. But I, but I, I think that Illinois gets past them and then has a pretty good route to the title game. And if there's a team that can beat Gonzaga, I think it's Illinois. They have the right amount of talent and the right places that can contend with how good Gonzaga's been. And the one thing that I think that Gonzaga is vulnerable is they really haven't played anyone since you know 
January, December. You know, if BYU is their best competition, they haven't been truly, truly tested by a caliber team since, you know, they. I think this is a rematch from earlier season. One of the losses for Illinois was to Gonzaga earlier this year. But Illinois has just improved vastly since then. So I'm going to go Illinois there. Uh, give me a little bit more thoughts about just the tournament as a whole length. And what, what were your kind of thoughts about just how the, how the bracket shaped up as a whole? With, my first initial thought was if Illinois can beat Oklahoma State, I don't see any other team really kind of giving them a strong challenge, especially in the Midwest. And I love how you brought that up against the, with the Illinois potential um, Sweet 16 matchup against Oklahoma State because when you look at Oklahoma and the matchup against Missouri, Oklahoma State really kind of turned their season, in my opinion, with back-to-back wins over Oklahoma um, in late February. And when you're kind of watching those games, I think the national kind of discussion around Oklahoma State was it was Cade Cunningham, and he was really going to have to carry this team to whatever their potential was going to be. And it seems like that team as a whole has gotten a lot better throughout the year, and I'm excited to see what Cade can do in the tournament. And then just as a whole, like, when I look at this, I'm just excited to be able to sit down and watch hours upon hours of college basketball. Uh, I think that is something that made the pandemic extremely real for me. There was obviously when the in- NBA canceled its season, but then we're kind of right after we saw the end of your conference tournaments and the NCAA was ultimately canceled. And that just kind of signaled to me is, you know, if these huge corporations are going to cancel this and and lose out on millions upon millions of dollars, like everything's going to shut down. And so I'm just decided one year later we're going to be able to sit around and watch basketball and, and you know, talk about these brackets and experiences. It's something that I think we really, really need. Yeah. Um, we heard from NCAA President Dan Gavitt earlier this morning. All 68 teams passed and have enough personnel to play in the tournament. The bracket is now locked. And it's kind of how just a reversal has kind of happened from the speaking of the NCAA, how – a bubble doesn't work in college athletics, but yet we're now in a bubble a year later playing this in Indianapolis. And, you know, it, it's just it's just a favorite event for many many sporting fans, myself included. You know, I, I, I wrote a column about it last year about how just you know, I've kept every bracket since 2004, and I guess I was 12 in 2004. Uh, and just looking back at just, you know, how I keep my stats every year, and there's, there's just a line of nothing for 2020. It, it's Kind of shocking and will obviously always be there. One thing that I guess this is not to the favor of Langston and I, I've never picked the champion correctly. 2004 to 2019, zero times I got the champion right. Uh, the team I had winning got to the final, has gotten to the final five times in that span and lost all five times, most recently being the 2016 North Carolina team. So, yeah, there is that. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Illinois is not winning, but don't put any money on uh, Illinois, guys. If you listen to podcasts and you're a betting man or a woman, <laughs> avoid the uh, fighting Illini at all costs. Maybe. And that, and that counts. And I, I started filling out women's bracket, too, starting in 2019, because now that I was living in a college town for the first time and seeing a women's college basketball season up close, I finally felt like I had enough knowledge to call it a women's bracket. Uh, I had Mississippi State in that tournament. They lost me late to Sabrina Ionescu in Oregon. But kind of transitioning over to women's basketball a little bit, Missouri women's basketball was not selected for the uh, NCAA women's tournament, and, and it was absolutely not a shocker. But the, the shocker was Mississippi State not only did not make it, they were not in the first four out. Their season's done. They did not accept a WNIT bid like Missouri did. 
who opened play Friday in the Fort Worth region against Fresno State. They'll have to go through Arizona State or Rice to get to the championship game, which would likely be against their Houston, which is the first team out for the women, or undefeated California Baptist, who won their conference and are undefeated, but cannot play in the NCAA tournament because they're transitioning to Division I. Uh, and then we'll see from there what happens with the women, but they get a postseason opportunity for the eighth time in nine years. Uh, kind of quickly going over my women's bracket, if you filled it out, uh, my Elite Eight uh, are Stanford, Georgia, South Carolina, Maryland, Texas A&M, NC State, Miller, and UConn. I do have Missouri State making it to the Sweet 16, beating the Arkansas women, but then they lose to Stanford. Final four of Maryland, Stanford, UConn, and Texas A&M. A title game of Maryland, UConn, and I have Maryland winning it. I think the two best teams in this tournament are just Stanford and Maryland. I just UConn's always phenomenal, but they're just too young this year for me to really think that they can win at all, despite the talent of Paige, Paige Beckers and everything they got going on there. So I have Maryland winning it all. They just score it like those old Tennessee teams could. So I, I think that they're really, really good. Uh, do you have a, any inclination as to if you had to pick a women's winner election, who it would be? I don't really have an inclination on who would win win it all, but what I will say, it's been absolutely a pleasure to watch Paige Beckers this year, and it would be probably the best freshman performance, and I'm including that against you know, your Carmel Anthony's or your Anthony Davis, if she was able to kind of carry that UConn team to a national championship. So that is something to watch. I think she's already established herself as one of the best, if not the best players in women's college basketball, and kind of having that on her resume, and really kind of becoming a face of the sport, in my opinion, with a, uh, a national championship win would be incredible to watch. Yep. Uh, we don't want to forget football either. Uh, Missouri's spring game does play, take, take place Saturday, the exact same day as Missouri's first-run NCAA tournament game on the men's side. And should uh, Missouri make it to the second round, their, their game against likely Gonzaga would be Monday night, um, uh, and that would be the same day as Missouri's pro day for football. So definitely a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we haven't done much spring football coverage just at the Tribune, but that's because there's some really important basketball going on. Uh, anything else you want to touch on, Langston, before we get out of here this week? No, just enjoy this weekend, guys. It's been over a year in the making. Um, so it, don't take this for granted because, like we learned last year, it can go away with you know extreme circumstances. Yeah, this will be an NCAA tournament like any other. I will be in Indianapolis for Missouri's game, and then it will likely be at um, either in Indianapolis again or in West Los Bloomington if they were to play Gonzaga in the round of 32, but so stay tuned for that coverage. But for Langston Newsom, I'm Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's New Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next time.